Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I hope you're having a wonderful week. So I'm so excited right now. I just wrote the first chapter of my book. I have been wanting to write a book for the past decade. About six years ago, I decided to start my blog. I built my website because I knew that if I was going to write a book, I better start practicing. Four years ago, I was asked to write for industry publications on leadership and personal and professional development, as well as industry topics such as safety and advancement of technology. And I really enjoy doing it. And I've learned so much about writing. And, uh, and I keep saying, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write a book, but I never get started. And I think it's just because I don't know where to, to start. It's hard to write a book. And I think I have to have an outline and it all has to be developed before I can start writing. But the truth is, is that through all of my writing and blogging and, and, and publishing of articles, I have most of my book written. I just needed to take the first step and start putting together my ideas. So I've been talking to a lot of people who have written books, asking about their journey, how they got started, and um, all of them are unique and all very interesting, but they've not really resonated with me in terms of how I need to get started. And maybe I'm just using that as an excuse because it's hard and I'm going to have to write my book on the weekends because I run two companies and I'm a full-time mom and wife and have a lot going on. So it can be a little bit intimidating and overwhelming. But a good friend of mine introduced me to a writing coach and she is starting a writing cohort, which is a group of five people who are wanting to write books. We're all in various stages and we are going to be each other's accountability buddies. And our writing coach is going to walk us through the process of writing a book and overcoming the obstacles and the roadblocks and losing motivation. So I am so excited. I have my first 300 words written and put together uh, for my book and I am going to write another 3000 words next weekend. And I'm really excited about this process. So the reason why I'm telling you all of this is one, because I'm excited and I wanna put it out there that I'm going to have a book. And two is to encourage you to take that step. It's so easy to come up with all of the excuses and reasons why we can't do something hard, but we can do hard things. We just have to take that first step. Even if you don't really know if it's going to be the right step, just take a step. I started with, this is how I'm going to write the intro to my book and wrote it. And the next thing I know, all the ideas started to flow and it became much clearer the direction I wanted to go. So hopefully that's uh, helpful for you today. And now on to my guest. I am thrilled to introduce Mr. Steve Burroughs. Steve is one of the most fascinating people I've interviewed to date, although all my guests are awesome. Uh, Steve is a professional engineer, and he's also passionate about leadership and has some really fantastic fundamental ideas on being a great leader. So Steve is um, has worked for one of the biggest, most well-respected structural engineering and design firms, uh, AECOM. They are known around the world for their work. He has done some really cool projects like the Allianz Arena in Munich, the city of Manchester Stadium. He also redesigned um, the structural design of the Manchester Bridge after it was bombed many years ago. 
He worked on the Bird's Nest Stadium for the Beijing Olympia, Olympics and the Singapore Sports Hub, as well as several other projects like the Apple Campus. And he's worked on some of the coolest projects in the world. He now owns his own firm, actively developing and advising developers of, techno of technology aimed at disrupting the construction industry. So he's also a technology guru. And he is very passionate about helping women get into STEM careers. In fact, he is has uh, produced a Netflix movie. It was actually an IMAX movie. It's on Netflix now called The Big Dream around women in STEM uh, careers. And he also has made a TV show called Time Scanners, uh, which you'll definitely should check out. He was awarded the Brunel Medal in 2004, was made a commander of the British Empire by Her Majesty the Queen herself in 2009, and was awarded an honorary fellowship of his alma mater, which is Liverpool University, in 2018. He is such a cool guy, and you're going to love this interview. Hang tight, and I'll be right back with Steve. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited to introduce my guest today, Mr. Steve Burroughs. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. You're one of the world's most successful engineers, and you're also a greatly admired leader. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, I'm a structural engineer, actually. did a degree in civil engineering at Liverpool Polytechnic. Um, only, I went to Liverpool Polytechnic because it was the only place I could get in, and I had no money. And so it was the only place I could afford to go. Uh, joined Arup out of school, um, worked around the world in Hong Kong, China, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, the United States many times, um, and designed buildings that I really liked. So I'm into sports, big Manchester United fan. Um, so I designed stadiums. Um, so I designed a, a bunch of them around the world for the World Cup, for the Olympic Games, um, in the United States for NBA basketball team, NFL team. And uh, that's, what I, that's what I did for a long while. Um, and then in the later part of my career, the last few years, I've really been into trying to change the construction industry, particularly focused on, is there a way to make buildings cheaper uh, with the intent of uh, affordable housing being actually affordable? And so I've been looking at, you know, different ways in which you could put buildings together, different ways you could build them, different technologies you should use. And um, yeah, that's really what keeps me, um, keeps me interested. So what's the most uh, interesting hmm. engineering project that you've worked on? You know, it, it, it's hard to answer that question because every project is different. I think um, every engineer, well, certainly I always wanted to design a bridge. And so I, um, I, I got the opportunity to design a bridge under um, pretty difficult circumstances. So uh, I'll tell you the story. So I was, yeah. playing, I was playing golf on a Saturday afternoon uh, in Bolton, near Manchester, uh, when I heard a bang. And um, that was the largest bomb that the IRA ever planted and let off in mainland Britain. And it was in Manchester. And it sort of changed things for me quite a lot, actually, probably changed my life, uh, that bomb. Um, but the bomb went off under a footbridge that connected two parts of a shopping center. And uh, the city and when it when it rebuilt after the bomb, uh, wanted to create a beautiful piece of art bridge 
that connected these two buildings. So I got to do that. And uh, it's pretty interesting. You can look it up. It's at the Manchester Arndale Centre. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty cool bridge. Like, um, I, it, it's sort of a, like a hyperbolic paraboloid. That might not mean anything to you, but, but these big cooling towers you see at power stations, yeah. imagine those turn on their side. And it's sort of a twisted steel structure uh, that connects these two buildings at different levels. So I wanted to do a bridge, and then I did a bridge. Then I did another one afterwards, which was based on a dinosaur skeleton. But that's another story. Um, but every project I've worked on has been interesting. You know, I really tried to stay away from projects that I didn't connect to personally. I didn't see I could bring anything to the project. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to choose a lot of projects that I work on and not to have the projects chosen for me. Well, certainly over the last 30 years anyway. So it sounds like there's like a, an artistic streak in you, right? If you want to pick and choose the projects that speak to you, how does, how does art play into the way that you think about engineering and, and structural design? Yeah, I think, I think art is pretty important. My wife's an artist and, um, she paints and she does, I love her work. She, she paints these sort of uh, images of nature, but really close up, really just showing how beautiful nature is. Um, I would say that not many people would describe me as artistic. Um, I, I don't think that would be an adjective that would get used a lot. Um, but I sort of do care. I care about the place and, you know, the sort of message that the building sends and not just symbolism so for example I, I led the team for the engineering of the bird's nest stadium for the beijing olympics and it wasn't the original idea wasn't that it was a bird's nest the original idea that really attracted me uh, was that it was like a beautiful piece of polished stone and it had these random lines that went through the stone because um, that's what grandparents do for their grandchildren in china when they graduate school and I love that sort of connection of uh, people uh, across different um, different generations and somebody doing something for someone that took many hours to polish it smooth. It just showed, you know, a tremendous amount of love and dedication and, and the whole sort of symbolism, um, you know, appealed to me. And so I wanted to make something really cool. Um, unfortunately, it was a blind competition. And when the mayor of Beijing saw it, he nicknamed it the bird's nest and that name stuck. But that wasn't really what, what drove it. So I like the sort of, you know, I like the human connection. And the goal, uh, just so you know, the brief was to create an iconic building. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking, well, what is an icon? And trying to sort of explore what it is. It's not necessarily something that's massive and, and unique. Um, you know, red telephone boxes in London are iconic. And, um, and so I was trying to think, you know, what is... Um, you know, for somebody who's not Chinese, what is what has symbolism, uh, what what becomes instantly recognizable, and uh, and how can I be really proud of doing something? You know, but creating this massive building in an earthquake zone for an Olympic Games. Um, you know, those are the sort of things that that attract me. And I find if I'm really sort of connected to something, I'm passionate about it, then I give everything. And if if I'm not connected to it, and passionate about it. I don't, and I don't really want to spend my time doing things that I, I really don't care too much about. Uh, I know that sounds pretty bad, but but I don't. 
I think I've only got so much time and only so much energy and I want to commit it to meaningful things. So, you know, I try my best to do things that I, I really care about. I don't think it sounds bad at all. I mean, it's about finding purpose in your work and that is so much more fulfilling than doing things that, uh, that you don't feel connected to. I mean, I think that's the goal of every human being is to have that kind of passion and purpose in the things that they create and add value to because it uh, makes them feel like they're part of something that's bigger than themselves. So I think it's very admirable that you have that kind of clarity around the projects that you want to work. Yeah, I think it also sort of plays into leadership because, um, you know, I think I told you when we were we were talking earlier that, you know, I'm a naturally uh, very shy person. I'm very introverted and I could not speak in public to, you know, more than two people without wanting to cry. And so I, f I found myself that, you know, I got a coach and the coach said to me, um, well, here's a couple of things, you know, one is... Um, surround yourself by people who think who agree with you about uh, what you're trying to achieve not they just agree with everything i say you know i want people to challenge everything i say but but you're 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 aligned with them you know you 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 want to achieve the same thing and um, because that helps a lot and only speak on subjects that you know something about and um and so i found that when i get passionate about something um, you know, I have a reason why I'm passionate about it and I can surround myself with people who are also passionate about that thing. And then we create cool stuff. Um, and I can't do it by myself uh, and I can't do it if people don't aren't interested in it too. You know, they care about trying to do something uh, better than they would normally do. Um, so, you know, I found that sort of my leadership style really is to, um, you know, find people that I like. And I have this sort of relationship scoring system that I'm happy to talk to you about that I look, you know, I try to, I try to find uh, meaningful relationships. I'm still friends with my, you know, uh, talk to my friends from when I was four years of age. You know, I, I, I connect with them. I talk to them at the weekends. You know, I try to have deep, meaningful relationships and not be superficial, um, but to focus on things that we really care about. So that's, that's you know, just the thing that works for me. So you being an engineer, uh, does not surprise me that you have a scorecard for how to uh, grade your meaningful relationships. I definitely have to hear about this. So tell us about, uh, about what you've created and how it works. So, you know, I started, first of all, I don't think that, I don't believe a lot of these things about, um, you know, leaders are born, um, you know, they can't, people, people have to find their own style of leadership. So. I would say um, I have been a leader for many years in businesses and, and I've sort of got to understand myself, like what, it, what, what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, I've found that people who um, I'm constantly fighting with, we just can't reach agreement. Um, they, they use up all of my energy and, and I've just found that um, it doesn't work for me. If, if we're trying to do something and somebody's fighting at every step of the way and trying to pull in another direction, the way I describe it is, you know, if we're all rowing a boat and somebody's drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat, uh, then the boat goes down. And so I just can't deal with people. I can't work with people who are pulling in an opposite direction. And I've found that, you know, they're in an organization, they're really better working in another organization than working with me. 
um, because it just doesn't work. So that's like no, number one. I've also found that, that the more I know people, the more I understand them and what motivates them, the deeper the relationship, the better the work. And so I rate relationships on a scale of, of one to five. This is, this is what I do. So level one relationship is I would recognize that person. If I was walking down the street and I saw them, I would recognize them. I'd go, oh, that's Kerry, right? That's, that's level one. Uh, level two is they would recognize me. So they would go, they would, they, so we would, we would be able to say hi to each other uh, across the street. Um, level three is that we've had a meeting together. We've met, we've talked, we've, we've, you know, we actually had some personal interaction uh, with each other. Uh, level four is we've, we've done something together. So riding a, doing a bike ride, going hiking, doing a project. We've actually done something to, together. And level five is what I call a critical friend. And that is, um, I, I could call them up and they would answer the phone. I could, I could say they wouldn't ask why. There wouldn't have to be a reason for us to have a conversation. It doesn't have to be about project or some, an invoice or anything. They're just happy to have a call. And the way to measure that is when the phone goes, when you see a telephone call and uh, you see who it is, on your phone so you either recognize the number or their name comes up how do you feel do you go oh no a bit, uh, that's not a critical friend that's just somebody you do business with maybe a level four relationship but if you go oh great i haven't heard from this person for a while and you really want to talk to them then it's a level five and i just find that that, that works for me i want to work with people that when I see get a phone call from them or they get one from me, they're, they're looking forward to it and it's fun. And, and we, we look forward to the next time. Um, and yeah, so because I'm an engineer, you know, I try to put some numbers around these things. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> All right. So uh, I love that description and uh, building really deep connections is something that I value as well. And I've always walked this fine line of, you know, especially with, with my, my executive team and my employees, because I like to go deep and I have, you know, taken it too far where I know too much about somebody's personal situation that as a friend, it's okay, but as a leader, it's not. And so how do you build those uh, level five relationships with, with people who are on your team, with your employees, and still find that deep, meaningful connection, but also make sure that it still is an appropriate relationship for, you know, a, a leader and 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 his or her teammates. Yeah. So, so the the thing I've learned, and and it's taken a long time, and I still don't think I'm I'm anywhere near, you know, the finished article. As I, you know, I'd, I would say as a leader, I'm I'm competent. Right. I don't I wouldn't regard myself, you know, I wouldn't go around saying I, I'm, I'm the best leader that there's ever been. I'm just not. Um, I do my best every single time, but I'm just not. Um, and I have that sort of uh, uh, white guy problem. Right. And, the, you know, the white guy problem is, um, you know, my dad, um, you, know, you know, everything goes back to to, you know, how you were brought up. I think, um, you know, my dad never cried. Right. My dad never you know, he, he was not um, an emotional person at all. You know, he didn't hug me. He didn't kiss me. 
you know, he didn't, you know, that wasn't. And so I, I was brought up with this sort of um, facade of, um, you know, I'm tough, uh, I'm unemotional, uh, I make, you know, really, I make business decisions. I'm just, you know, you, uh, and, and that's not who I am, right? I, you know, I, cry, I watched Amanda Gorman read the poem at the inauguration and I cried. You know, my, and my wife put her arm around me and she goes, you always cry at these things. And I was like, really, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I you know, I, I cry easily um, and I like it. You know, it makes me feel like I'm real. And so um, these relationships that I've developed, the deep relationships with people, I found I have to find a way to be vulnerable and to actually, you know, tell people that, you know, sometimes I don't know the answer. I, I just don't know what to do. And sometimes I'm scared and sometimes I'm sad and, and sometimes I'm happy and, and sometimes I'm tired. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm, leaders are not different types of human beings. I watch some of these leadership TED Talks and I go, oh my gosh, that's a robot. You know, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not a robot. Um, you know, if, I, if I, uh, I, know, I know things about myself, if I don't have a good night's sleep, I'm grouchy. The next day, I'm better in the mornings than I am at night. I get tired. I put my head on the pillow. I go to sleep. I don't wait for eight hours. I don't move. You know, that, I need that sleep. If I drink alcohol, I don't sleep well. So I try not to drink alcohol. You know, I like it, but I, it doesn't help. You know, I want, I'd rather sleep. And, and I think you've got to recognize in other people that they're happy and sad and scared and tired and things aren't going well. And, and you know, you've got to have create a place in which it's okay to talk about those things and it's really hard as a as a as a guy to do that because you know parentally i was conditioned to hide those things and so you know i try to get better at it um and just to to sort of recognize that we're stronger together and people can help each other but i don't always know the answers i don't know how you do it as a leader because you know you refer you say as the CEO and your executive team and your employees. And, and I, I, I really try honestly to take the view that, um, you know, being the boss is just a title. It doesn't mean anything. A leader without followers is an idiot. And, um, and, and that people choose to follow you. You can't make them. You know, you think you can tell people what to do, but nobody will do what they're told to do unless they believe in it. Um, uh, so you've got to find a way to to make people feel engaged with with the task at hand, and uh, with all of these emotions that are running, where they they're really tired or they're really scared or they don't know how to do it, and they're frightened to tell you they don't know how to do it. Um, and so you know that's it's been something that I've been trying to learn, and uh, I have to sort of overcome this this sort of ingrained. Um, you know, facade that I'm, I'm always right and I know the answers. Yeah, yeah. Mine is very different, I think, being a, a female leader. I think it's much more easy. Um, it's more, more accepted and, and easier for me to be able to show emotion, although there's a different judgment around that being a, a female leader for sure. But um, <clears throat> the thing that I've had to the thing that I've really developed is asking questions. And my team says my superhuman power is my ability to ask questions and pull the story out. And so I'll have somebody come in and say, I am not going, I was not going to tell you that, damn it. And, you know, you ask those questions and, and that's how I really build the connections with people is by 
actively listening and watching body language and saying, you know, well, what did you, what did you mean by that? You use that word. What, why did you pick that specific word? And it's amazing how you can start to really pull this deep connect connecting story. If you take the time to listen and ask engaging questions. And so that's how I build relationships is through, you know, trying to, to be accessible and easy to talk to. And by asking really good questions that help people, articulate how they might be feeling or understand something that they didn't, you know, they didn't understand about themselves before. So that that's one of the things that I've really been trying to develop. Yeah, but just following up on that, I like I like the superpower analogy. So I'd like to ask ask you a question, but I'll I'll give you mine first. So my question to you is going to be, you know, what is your kryptonite? Um, Because because for me, my superhuman power and I, you know, I even feel bad been using that terminology, but but where I'm at my best is in a crisis. Um, when something goes really badly wrong, and I've got some examples of things going really badly wrong, um, they, they, I, I don't panic. I, I can focus on um, what is the right thing to do and be driven by it. Mm-hmm. I don't blame. You know, I'm never. I'm not one of these people who like. I hate forensically examining what went wrong you know i don't i don't like that but i like to find solutions to in a crisis i'm a pretty good person to have around in a crisis i i, I can assure you of that and i've been in ma- many of them um i can and imagine that, you are <laughs> and that's uh that's really good but my downside is um i get bored i get very yeah. easily bored and i can't do routine things you know even even with my wife we've developed this um We've, I've been married for, hang on, when do I get married? I've been married for uh, 38 years. And um, uh, well, so we'll, and we've developed some interesting things, right, as, as in our relationship. My wife knows I can't fill in a form. I just, every time I get a form and it asks me to write my name, I go, well, if they knew, if they sent me a form, why couldn't they print my name on it? And why, why do they need, they know my date of birth and they know my social security number and my, my address. They mailed it to me. Um, you know, why do I have to write my address? And I can't do it. I just found myself going, oh, I'm just, I can't do this. It's inane. Whereas my wife is, very, you know, she, she, she is fine with doing those things. So she fills the forms in, right? And I don't. Um, and it's sort of, um, you've got to realize that, that uh, I, I'm like that when I'm doing projects. If, I, if it's repetitive, I find myself going, I can't do this twice. I just can't. So I've got to find a way to automate this process now because I, if, if this is all I'm doing all the time, I'm going to go crazy. Um, and and that's, a, that's a weakness because, you know, um, the detail matters and some those things are, are necessary. Um, and I just don't enjoy doing them. I get bored really quickly um, over yeah. those things. But what's your kryptonite? It's, a, it's actually very similar to that. Uh, I, I pay attention to details because I have a very good memory. I remember everything people tell me. Uh, and so that is an easy way for me to, you know, and then I synthesize. I synthesize complex problems, complex information and categorize it, boom, boom, boom. And I remember. And so I actually pay attention to the details and I care about the details. 
but I don't want to do the details. <laughs> so right. it's very similar. Like, yeah, my husband, like he handles like all like tax, like we're, we have a complicated, you know, we've got a lot of stuff and, and businesses and, and property and he handles all the taxes. He's like, do you know how lucky you are that I do this for you? Because you literally cannot do this. And I'm like, yes. And I am so grateful. Thank you. And I appreciate the details. And I like when I know the details, I want him to share that with me, but doing it is really hard. And it, it can uh, really negatively impact uh, my team when I am like, let's just go for it instead of having a detailed plan because not everybody's comfortable with that. Like I can wing it and I know that I'm going to be okay no matter what ha happens, but that's not a great way to lead a company. And it is very uncomfortable for people who are analytical and who are not risk takers. And so I've had to really learn how to temper that and surround myself with people who have those strengths because it is not one of my strengths. And uh, so I don't like, you know, have everybody following me and running off the cliff. <laughs> but you're, you're following quite me a, right off the cliff. You're, you're quite a fearless person, right? You, you, because um, what you describe is you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and, um, and see, I, I, I haven't, I like, uh, I, you know, I, I think uh, I, I told you this previously, but you know, I was brought up in, you know, very poor circumstances, you know, we didn't have any money. And so I'm generally actually quite risk averse. So even though I really like doing interesting things and exciting things and new things and groundbreaking things and finding new ways, um, there's also a big part of me that's, uh, that's risk averse. You know, I, 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 tr I tend not to uh, do things where I won't bet the farm, you know, I, I'm always, uh, I, I'm very good at scenario planning. Um, I've always got a plan B and a plan C. Um, and, and I, because I, I say, okay, what's going to go wrong? Um, so I'm actually quite, uh, risk management is one, of, you know, and that, in any business and, and in any leader, it's about managing risk, right? It's yeah. uh, um, because everybody, yeah. everybody can be good when things are going well. Uh, but what I described to you is, you know, my strengths are in a crisis, yeah. but also um, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good at thinking like, well, what's going to go, what's going to go wrong? And, um, and what am yeah. I going to do when it goes wrong? And so I always feel like I've got in my back pocket, I've got a plan B, you know, where I'm, I'm I, yeah. you know, I've actually done it with people where something has happened. And I said, well, I thought about this. I, I actually once presented to my boss. I said, you know, I thought this might happen. And I did a plan and he, and he looked at it and he said, he said, oh, this is, this is crazy. And he said, I, you know, how would you, how would you have guessed that this would happen? And I said, I always try and guess what's going to go wrong and come up with a plan for it. And yeah. I wrote this job, I wrote it down. Um, and he found that really weird. He almost found like I'd, I'd uh, made the bad thing happen. You know, it was like, you know, it started to go, you couldn't have foreseen this. You must've, uh, you must've sort of like created this you know, somehow. And I go, no, no, it was like, you know, orchestrated it. it. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, no, no, I was just, uh, I, I just, I always think, you know, what happens if, what happens if we're late? You know, what happens if we go over budget? What happens if I can't make this thing work? Um, what am I going to do? Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. And I think that's a great distinction to make because even though our kryptonite can show up in similar ways, the the root of it is very different, right? So yours is boredom. So as long as creating a plan and paying attention to details isn't boring to you, then great, I can dive in. Mine is paying attention to details because I feel like it's slowing me down. And that's really where my, um, you know, the risk taking piece of it comes in is, is this going to slow me down? And that's my kryptonite. And that's where the details and the planning can uh, can get in my way. So I think that's a, a great distinction to be able to make, even if it sometimes shows up and manifests itself in the same way of, you know, not caring about doing certain types of, of work. So just one thing to add to that. My boredom is not just not just boredom. It's sort of uh, being aligned with the mission, you know. So um, if I don't, uh, you know, I, I worked at Arup for 29 years and I thought I would work there my whole career. Um, but the reason I left was I, I started finding myself saying, I'm not, I don't feel aligned with the mission anymore. And, um, and that doesn't mean that's not does make, you know, I'm not no way me saying Arab is not a good firm, or it's changed. I think I had changed. It wasn't, it was no longer personally aligned with me. And it was more and, and I wanted to do something else. And, um, and it was the best thing I ever did, but it was a, it was a hugely difficult thing to do after such a long period of time. Um, but once I'd done that, I started to say, huh, this is, this is better for me, right? I, I'm an impact person, right? That's what you get when you're not bored. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at getting involved, making a difference, uh, getting it working, and then I should step away, right? I, I describe my career as like, uh, those guys who spin plates, you know, they get the plate spinning on the top of the pole. I'm pretty good at getting the plate spinning. But when the job is just keeping it there, I'm best doing something else. I'm best, you know, uh, moving on to something else because I will get bored by that. Um, yeah. If they start yeah. falling off, I'm, I'm, I'm in it again, right? I'm, uh, how are we going to catch them all before we hit the ground? Get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back. But uh, I'm not the, the plate spinner guy who just keeps it going. So I can't do routine I can't go to work and because it's a job, um, you know, I can't do that. So never have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Great analogy. I just did a, um, a workshop last night. So I'm part of uh, YPO young president's organization. And we brought in a woman named, uh, Whitney Johnson, who is, um, the world's, what did she describe herself as like a leading, um, expert in, in disruption. And, uh, and it was really great because she talked about, you know, how we just, we, we don't always know we continuously disrupt ourselves. You know, you, you, you leave high school and you go to college, you get your first job and, and we don't necessarily look at it that way. And, and, uh, and so for me, it is really about that disruption. And that's where maybe the entrepreneurial spirit comes in. Like, I don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur, um, even though I probably have a lot of the same um, attributes as entrepreneurs. But for me, it's about disruption. Like, how am I going to change something that isn't working? And that is, um, and that's where my purpose really gets aligned. If we're not doing something that is purposeful, changing, making something better, making an impact, and I have you know, the ability to really affect that, that's when I say this isn't in alignment with, with me. And, uh, and then it shows up in, you know, um, 
uh, procrastination or disengagement. And, you know, you sort of say, okay, this isn't the right thing. So I totally understand it maybe from a little bit different perspective. No, and I I, I appreciate that. The the thing is that it sort of, uh, it comes back to this relationship thing that knowing the sort of people that you need to surround yourself with. And I also, you know, I, I, I'm quite passionate. Um, I made a movie a few years ago uh, called Dream Big, which was about getting girls to study STEM subjects in schools. And, um, and I, I, then I would go, I went on a sort of lecture tour uh, based around the movie and, and people would ask for career advice. And I always have the same thing, you know, choose a boss, not a company, choose somebody who have characteristics that you can see a little of yourself and you would like to emulate. Uh, don't do it just because, you know, don't join a company because you go, oh, I've joined, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers because they're, you know, they're great at what they do. Well, that's true. But but who are you going to be working with day to day? And are they going to really excite you and help you and, and, and want to help you to be better at what you do? Um, or are you just going to be, you know, doing sitting in the corner doing some mechanical job? Um, so choose a boss. Always choose a boss, and I find that's the same for me. I say, I, like, choose people. When if I'm interviewing, I, I, you know, I'm trying to say, is this somebody who they're, they're culturally aligned with what we're trying to do here? That's first and foremost. Um, and and yes, they've got some skills, but but you know, is it going to be fun? Are they gonna Are they going to enjoy it? Uh, am I going to enjoy working with them? Uh, and I found if the answers to those questions are no, it probably isn't going to work, you know, um, just uh, and so so you sort of, you know, one thing feeds off the other. Right. And um, I'm not saying you want to surround yourself by people who look and think and have the same politics and uh, as yourself. No, not at all. But but people have got to have some passion for the mission. And uh, and if they have, then it's going to yeah. work. And um, that's what people follow. You know, people have, especially engineers, we've got a lot of choices, what we do. You know, there's no, there's, there's way too few engineers, um, given that the whole world is changing, right? Climate change is, is, is upon us and is like, you know, COVID times a million. And, um, and, and so the problems are, are, are many and uh, engineers are solutions looking for a problem. You don't need to look very far these days to find a problem. So we're very, we're, we've got a lot of choice and you've got to find a way that you can make an impact and work with people that you enjoy working with and try and blur that boundary that we talk about retirement. You know, retirement is, is doing it because you'd rather do something else. Uh, and I find when I'm really excited about something, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And that's great for me. That's what I'm seeking all the time. That thing that, you know, I can't find anything better to do than this. No, I totally understand. And I've learned that lesson the 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 real uh, the hard way um, with that alignment with mission and and vision and leadership style. Uh, I've had I've hired several people to come onto my executive team um, and within the company in key positions and really excited about the uh, the experience that they might bring, uh, coming from a different type of organization, running, you know, big organizations and having this breadth of experience and, uh, and they have failed. And one of my employees told me, and it was really hard to hear, but he said to me, well, it's not them, it's you. They can't work for you. 
Yeah. And I was kind of taken back because like, I think I'm a great boss. Like people love to work for me, but no, it's a certain type of people. Like if you're not aligned with the vision and the mission of the company and then the leadership style, which mine of course is very disruptive, right? So um, how do you, uh, I need to have people with like a startup mentality who um, can thrive in that kind of environment. And I was so glad that he said that to me, even though it stung a little bit and I had to process it because boy, it really does matter. People are going to be successful in a company if their styles and vision and what they want can align with the way that a company is organized and run. And so uh, so now I've totally changed my approach in hiring and thinking through who's going to be really successful on this team because they've got to be able to align with this type of you know, energy that we're creating and the type of style that I run the organization with. So I really appreciate you saying that because I, I think it's so true. Yeah, it's a, I think the analogy for me, because I'm a big sports fan is, um, you know, you can have the best players in a team. If I use, you know, American throwball as a, as an example, and that's, a, that's, a, that's what I call it because it's not football. Um, but if you look at American throwball, if you swapped around the quarterback and the wide receiver, they would be as talented uh, as they were before, uh, but the team would not be successful. So, you know, you have to, first of all, you have to have people who are on the same page with each other, but then they have to be doing the things that they're best at. And the, be the most successful teams have synergy. And, you know, synergy is one of those things that I see talked about all the time. Um, but, but, if you think about acquisitions, when I was at WSP, we made a number of acquisitions and we, we said, um, we, we want to make one and one equal three, right? That was, and it's an easy thing to say, you know, trips off the tongue. Everybody can understand it. If we come together, we'll be better than we were apart. Um, so it's like getting married, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I, you know, I married my wife because we're, you know, my life and hopefully her life is better when we're together than it was when we were apart. You know, that's fun. I mean, yes, we love each other, but but fundamentally, you know, we're choosing that we want to, we're better to, we're better as a team than we are as individuals. And I think that's true in business as well. So when you when you have a team, um, you know, I've, I've, Manchester United have been a great team. Um, you know, today they might have better 11 players than they had when they were at their best. But if they don't complement each other, if there's something missing, if everybody attacks and they leak goals, it doesn't work. And so you've got to find, first of all, a common purpose, which is to win in the case of a, of a sports team. But then everybody has to understand what they're good at. And you have to cover for each other's weaknesses. You have to have somebody that when they're attacking, somebody says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to look, take care of the take care of the shot whilst everybody's the other end of the field. And if you don't do that, you'll, you will, you won't be successful. And I think in business, there's, there's a huge, I mean, I've been involved in so many exercises of um, trying to understand people's uh, attributes. You know, you do these sort of personality tests and, and uh, uh, you know, you know, but sometimes people say to me, you know, I don't even remember what they are, but you know, I'm a, I'm an RTWZ, you know, and I go, well, I have no idea what that is. Um, but, the, but the point of those tests is, is it seems to always get missed because afterwards you've got to say, oh, okay, well, what are all the things that our team has to do? And have I got the right people in the right places? 
Uh, and I've found over the years that I had a good example. I, you know, I don't know if you'll ever hear, hear this, but there was a guy who worked with me called Donny O'Loughlin. And uh, Donny was an engineer. And I made him our accountant and um, our finance guy. And why did I do that? Because he was really passionate about it. He was really good about it. He understood what the numbers were, the story the numbers were telling and not just what they were. And, and he loved it. He was incredibly successful with me. Um, but he was not an accountant. He just had a natural affinity for it. And he, he could tell me, I, if I walked into his office and he had, a, you know, we always put the accountants in a closed office. So, you know, because all the money stuff goes in there. If I, I, I never had an office, but he did. But if I walked into, his, into the office, he would look up and he'd say, next Wednesday. And I'd go, how do you, how do you know? And he goes, because I, I know what's on your mind. Don't worry, next Wednesday we'll get it. And, um, and he was always right. And, and so for me, we were, it was like a really good, a good team, you know. And, um, and so I tried to sort of think about people, like what, what, what would they be best, what do we need? And what would they be best doing? And as you can guess, as an engineer, I draw tons of diagrams and I do all these three, I put each person in a square and I do an arrow up, an arrow sideways or an arrow down. And I do it every year or every six months and every so often. And what that is, is I basically have a matrix of what we require to be a successful business. And I try to see, are people uh, growing? Are they actually developing uh, and getting better? Have they plateaued? Have they reached the limit of what they can do? They're as good as they're going to be doing that thing. Or are they actually getting worse? Is it is it actually not working out? And... Um, and, and I talk to them about it. You know, I actually, I actually score, I've got a number of attributes that I score. Um, and I talk to them about it and say, hey, you know, um, I think you've sort of plateaued in this position. You know, what, what do you want? Do you want to find something new? Are you happy with what you're doing? Do you want to keep doing this? Um, but I, this is my, my perception. And I found it works because, you know, you want people to, the best people to stay with you. You know, I've been lucky that people have followed me from place to place. Um, and you want to find ways that they're as excited about the job as you are. And, and if they just want to, if they re, if they found their thing and they just want to keep doing it, then that's a good thing to know. Stop, stop giving them new things to do. Um, and it changes from time to time. So, you know, I, I, I create little systems no. that, that, that work for me um, and and. I implement them. So I'm sort of, I suppose I'm painted by numbers leader. I suppose I'm coming across like that. huh? <laughs> Not at all. I think it makes perfect sense. And I really agree with you. Uh, I was recently asked, what do I, what attribute do I think makes the very best leader? And I said, hands down, the ability to build a team. Uh, you have to have a great team to be able to, to do anything. I'm a huge uh, Michael Jordan fan uh, for, for many reasons, not necessarily because he was a jerk, but he knew <laughs> how to finally learn how to build this really great team that went to, you know, to take, you know, to, to do things that no team had ever done before. And, and he really figured it out when it was, how do I build a team and who is going to be the very best in this position and be able to help us win. And so I love that. I think that you cannot be a great leader unless you know how to develop people. And part of developing people is aligning their roles with their talents and strengths. And so you have to have a system to do that. 
to take this point of, of team, the, the other thing I think that's important as a leader is managing change. And, um, and that's one thing that, that I have found really, really hard to do. So, I, you know, I describe I like change and I, I hate boredom and I'm looking for new things all the time. But, <clears throat> but not everybody's like that. That can be quite disruptive to people. And most people, if you want to change, my analogy for change is, is weight loss. Um, so, you know, one of my good friends, Jay Parrish, uh, lost once, lost a lot of weight. And I hadn't seen him for six months or three months or something. But when I saw him, he'd lost a lot of weight between the, the two times. And I said, wow, Jay, you've lost a lot of weight. How did you do it? And he, and he just looked at me like super puzzled and said, I just put less stuff in my mouth. And uh, and I was like going, yeah, it's that simple, isn't it? But it's it really is that simple. But it's root, doing it routinely that, that creates the change. And I think that, that in organizations, leaders yeah. have to create change, right? They have to, because, because otherwise, what's the point? You know, leaders take you from, from A to B, and uh, that's what they do. So, that, you, know, you know where A is, right? That's your origin, and you know where B is, where you would like to be. The leader's job is to create a plausible future. So I, I like to see leadership as, as a journey. So the journey goes from an origin to a destination. The destination has to be plausible. So, you know, my analogy is if, you, if you'd said to everybody, we're going to go to Mars, um, they would think you were crazy. But if you said, we're going to create a rocket that can get outside the Earth's atmosphere, which is actually the first step of on a journey to Mars, then people can start to say, oh, I, yeah, I could figure out how to... You know, if they're rocket scientists, they could figure out how to get outside the Earth's atmosphere. So you, you can't create uh, visions that are implausible to people. Even if you ultimately want to achieve that objective, you've got to explain things in pieces uh, that people you know, can reasonably uh, find a way that they can understand what their part is in following you on that journey. And, um, and I think that's sort of the, the, the goal of leadership when we say people being aligned and with the mission. Um, yeah, I think the mission has to be something that that is people believe you can achieve it. No, nobody wants to be part of something that they just say it's impossible, right? Because, you know, they go home and they say, hey, Steve's crazy. He wants to go to Mars. You know, we haven't even got off the ground. It's just too big. It's too big a leap. And and then, you know, when I, I I'm talking about boredom, so I, I say you've got to create change. But then you've got to sustain that change. You've got to find a way that, okay, if we're going to create a rocket that's going to get outside the Earth's atmosphere, then we, you know, there's a couple of things that are important. The, the power has to exceed the weight. Otherwise, it doesn't get off the ground. So, right, let's focus. You guys focus on making it light. And you guys focus on giving us more power. And then, hey, somebody's going to have to create a guidance system so it goes in the right direction. So then everybody knows what their part is. They know the mission and they understand their part in it. And I think with everything you do, you, you have to do that. You know, you've got to have, you know, the account. If we're designing stadiums, the accountant has to say, I say, look, stadiums are really big things. They're really risky things. Uh, they're going to open on a day, on a date, because uh, an event's going to take place. Um and, uh, and we're going to have problems, right? We're, but we've always, time is always going to uh, be the most important thing because it can't open. You can't open an Olympic stadium 
a week late. It doesn't work, right? So time, we're going to be governed by time. So everything we do has to be, all the invoices have to go out on time. Payment has to come on time. You know, uh, we have to, if we have to pay our subconsults or whatever it means, everything has to be done. Time is our guiding light for this particular job. Not necessarily the case on, you know, on a, a multi-family housing project, maybe, um, you know, where it's more important that you hit the market at the right point. So you've got to understand, you know, that the, and people have to understand that the, the guide changes. It's not always the same guidance that you give to people. It's the most appropriate guidance for the task at hand. And, uh, and that's the leader's job. And, and you have to think about that. Uh, a, a little story, when I became a leader, so my first leadership role, I was 27. My boss went on vacation to Mallorca and had a stroke. And so the team uh, voted me. They were asked to choose the next leader, and they chose me. And looking back, I think they chose me because they thought nobody could replace the boss and uh, the next person would fail. And it was probably better that I failed than they failed. And I think that was their reason for choosing me. But, but my boss's boss recognized that, even though I didn't. And, uh, and he said, I'm going to get you a coach. And the coach came to me and said, you know, talk to me about your leadership style. And I said, I'm the first person here in the morning. I'm the last person here at night. Um, I go, if somebody's here after six in the evening, I go and talk to them because they must have a problem and I want to help. And uh, I'm the busiest person in the office. I run. I used to run around the office all the time from meeting to meeting, from everything I did was high speed. And he said, okay, what I'd like you to do is on Thursday afternoon, uh, clear your calendar and just sit in, uh, we had, I had an open office. I, I sat in the office with everyone else, but we had meeting rooms where we had private conversations. He said, go into that meeting room with the, where you have the private conversations by yourself and stare out of the window and think about what you're trying to create. What are you trying to do here? And uh, he said, do it from two o'clock till 5 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. So I tried. I lasted about 10 minutes. I was like, I haven't got time for this. I haven't got, I haven't got time to think about the future. I'm busy. And, um, and that was what the, that was the most important thing is the boss should be the least busy person, right? That really must be the least busy person. And so often they're not. People think a measure of their worth is being busy and be, you know, and everything relies upon you. And that's the worst thing you can do because if something happens, everything goes wrong. You want to create resilience in your team that if something happened to you, God forbid, um, it, it, they would they would be fine, right? They would cover. It would be fine. It may not be quite as good. It may be better, um, but it would be fine. And if you think, if you make everything rely upon you, you might feel really important, but actually you're doing the worst thing you could possibly do for the business. And I, I was that leader. I was, you know, Brian Baxter, who, who got me the coach, said to me, which type of leader do you want to be? Do you want to be General Custer? You know, long flowing blonde hair, white horse, charges out in front, says, follow me. And uh, in battle, he's the first one that, got that, that goes down, right? Or do you want to be General Patton? Do you want to be General Patton sitting behind everyone, 
saying, right, we're going to win this. We're going to win this battle. You're going to go around there. You're going here. These guys are doing this. You're basically uh, managing the chess pieces. And, uh, and I was definitely the Custer type yeah. leader. And, and I've tried hard to be the strategic type leader. Um, and that's still a work in progress. Well, thank you so much for sharing your views on leadership and sharing your story with us today. It has been uh, so inspiring and, and I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much for, for, for coming on. No, well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed getting to know you a little and meeting you and uh, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. So uh, how can people find you? Oh, I'm the easiest person to find. I, I'm a commander of the British Empire. So I'm Steve Burroughs, <laughs> CBE. So that was an honor bestowed on me by the Queen. Um, so you can just Google Steve Burroughs Engineer or Steve Burroughs CBE. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on every, really every social media platform possible. If you can't find me, you, you're really not looking very hard. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Have a great day. Everybody hang tight and we'll be right back. Okay, I'm back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve. Such an interesting and multifaceted person. In fact, I asked him to come back and join me for the new videocast series that we're about to launch. So last year, Stone Age acquired a IOT, Internet of Things, product development company. They're doing all kinds of cool product development for clients on uh, connected devices. And Steve has a passion for technology, especially disruptive technology. So it'll be really fun to have him on that show. So be looking out for that. It's called In the Kitchen, IOT Conversations with Breadware. Okay, on to my question. So this comes from a follower on LinkedIn, and he asks me, Carrie, in your opinion, what's the most important attribute a leader will need to be successful in the turbulent times ahead? I thought a lot about this because there's so many important attributes leaders need to have, but today I wanna to talk about curiosity because I think it's really important. So curiosity is the keen desire to learn or to know something. It's the basic element of cognition and it motivates us to explore new ideas and is the building block of our decision making. And most importantly, in my opinion, it is fundamental to success. So being curious makes people more likely to consider new ideas, which will help them discover the future. And in today's highly competitive and rapidly changing world, we need more of that. So imagine what the world would be like without curious thinkers such as Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein and the Dalai Lama. These leaders, along with many others, have devoted their lives to finding new solutions to old problems. And we all know that we have a lot of problems that we need solutions to, both new and old. So I'm not suggesting that you should aim to be the next Albert Einstein, but you can make an impact by being relentlessly curious. So how do you become more curious? I've got five tips for you today. So first, spend time with people who have different viewpoints than you and engage in thoughtful dialogue with them. While it's natural to want to surround yourself with like-minded people, doing so decreases your opportunity to learn how others think. I love this quote from Ray Dalio, founder of Bridgewater Associates and author of the New York Times bestseller book, Principles. He says, when two people believe opposing things, chances are that one of them is wrong. It pays to find out if that someone is you. He continues, 
To me, it's pointless when people get angry with each other when they disagree, because most disagreements aren't threats as much as opportunities for learning. I love that. I wish more people believed that. We're so polarized today and so stuck into believing what we think, which I know this might come as a surprise, but just because you think it might not make it true. Uh, we need more curiosity and acceptance of ideas different than ours. Second, ask lots of questions and listen without judgment. Start by asking the five W questions. It's super basic, right? Who, what, when, where, and why, and then add the how, and then seek to learn through your questions. Don't build your case as to why the person is wrong. Just listen carefully and be open to what you're, you will discover. Next is reading. I am an avid book reader. I have book reviews on my website. I have a new website that's coming out, and so I'll have a lot more book reviews on there. I've not been publishing new content, waiting to move everything over, but I've got a ton that I want to review. And my goal is to help um, inspire and encourage you to read more. So reading helps you expand your knowledge and gains perspective and inspiration. It also allows you to gain deeper insights and connect seemingly unrelated topics. So aim to read a book a month. Um, I try to read 40 to 50 books a year. I listen to books when I ride my mountain bike and when I run to get more in. And try reading books and articles that take you outside of your comfort zone. Read things that might not align with your viewpoint so you can gain a new perspective and challenge your thinking and develop your thinking. Fourth, try something new, even if it's overwhelming. So recently I decided to learn Chinese Mandarin and because of it, my world expanded. So uh, it is incredibly difficult and I wish that I had uh, more time to stick with it. But what surprised me is how much better I understand the structure of English because of what I learned about the Chinese language. I also learned about Chinese history and culture which was fascinating and helped me have a deeper appreciation for my Chinese uh, dealers and business partners. So sure, learning something new can be hard and time consuming, but it is very interesting the perspective you will gain by doing so. And finally, and most importantly, do not let boredom suck away your curiosity. Most of us sit in a waiting room, mindfully staring at our phones, when instead, we could be doing something much more engaging. First, we could people watch. You could notice mannerisms, expressions, and body language. You can engage in conversation with the person next to you by smiling and asking a few general questions. You can look at magazines that are sitting on the coffee table and read an article that you normally wouldn't. Curiosity is about inquiry and exploration, so actively choose to be present and engage in the world around you, and you will expand your viewpoints, your world, and your curiosity. All right, well, hopefully that was fun for you. It was fun for me. I look forward to hosting you on the next episode of Reflect Forward. Thanks so much. Have a great day.